listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. The Reigns of Bimini by Slippin' Mickeys on AO3. Chapter 1 How could he have known when she walked into his office with her bad suit and her earnest smile that she would be the last person he would ever love? You don't always realize the momentous things as they are happening, and so he'd needled her a little. Without any thought to his lost sister, he'd used his snottiest big brother voice and accused her of spying. Her, his last, best love. Kids called to the forest, enveloped in a swirl of wind and desiccated leaves, the way the light from the slide projector shone on her skin, the blue from her eyes practically lit from within. The ghost of a monument caught on cellulose, those kids with marks on their backs, metal shoved up their nose, all projected on the glory of her perfect ivory skin and that ugly fucking suit. And she'd taken it all in stride with the confidence of a woman who'd rewritten Einstein before she'd hit quarter life. Her. God, how many years had it been since that first day? How many decades now? He looked at her across the room, still a small woman, but gravity pulling the weight of seventy years and two pregnancies on her hips and thighs. She was still lovely, perfect as far as he was concerned but he himself was another story. There were liver spots on his hands and less hair on his head, and while she'd walked into his life when he was a lithe young skip, he hadn't even kissed her until he was nearing forty. And then there were those empty years, when she'd had to leave him, when she realized that even her strength, and she was stronger than anyone he knew, wasn't, couldn't be stronger than someone else's pain. His... He had only himself to blame, really. It was barely a rumor. The reigns of Bimini, they called it. And he wasn't sure it wasn't some convoluted joke. He hadn't thought about it in decades. Not since it brushed across his desk eons ago, headed for the metal filing cabinet. A few pages and a file that had held his attention for all of three minutes. It wasn't even in the States. Why did the FBI have a file? Here, in the now, Scully had just hung up the phone, talking their daughter through some romantic conundrum. He cared, he did, but it was hard to keep track. She still had the phone in her hand, a small maternal smile on her face, and he had a flash of her in their youth, the pinched waist skirts, the way her hips would sway while walking down the halls of the Hoover and it dawned on him how many years they'd wasted. It was called the Reigns of Bimini. That's all he could remember. And it made you young again, for however long the downpour lasted. Do you remember our trip to Bermuda? He asked her. That was how so many of their conversations started these days. Do you remember? And that trip was just before the dark time, before she left but it was his way in. You in a black bikini, me at the oars. She gave him a faint smile, 
I remember. Do you want to go back? He asked. She was happy. She had to remind Mulder sometimes that she was happy. Had been since the improbable conception of their daughter and the impossible return of their son. She could feel him sometimes, and he her. Their lives a background of static, only occasionally tuning into each other's channel. She still thought of him as William, though he now went by Jack. Do I want to go back? she asked. To what? She'd been suspicious of his headspace for weeks, of his nostalgia, his wistful expression. Once Fox Mulder glommed onto something, he didn't let it go. And he'd seemed to glom onto their past. The Caribbean, he said, though I was thinking maybe the Bahamas this time. For what? she asked. There was no longer any darkness to cast out. For old time's sake, he said, and she thought that maybe he needed this. He was not expecting her to capitulate this easily. Okay, she said, with a small smile and a careworn look in her eye. Okay? Yes, okay. I could use some sun. So could you. The sad lamp's just not cutting it this far into spring. He'd been preparing arguments, budgetary spreadsheets. He even had Lily ready with a mom-you-should-go pep talk, prepped and ready, only an SOS text away. I, he sputtered, expecting resistance and getting none. I'll book the tickets. He was out of practice, but he still had some game and one or two contacts left at the FBI. Well, contacts of contacts. Bimini, he said again, his annoyance leaking through the phone line. B-I-M-I-N-I. Why are you busting my balls, Danny? You forget how to spell when you retired? Valadeo barked something at him over the line, but Mulder just smiled into the phone. It's a keystroke away, he went on, his tone the same he'd used to calm an irritated Scully. Agent Harrison digitized them like two decades ago. It's not like the guy even has to leave his desk. Danny rumbled something back. Bimini. Should be filed within the context of rain or some other meteorological event. Now, you still like Lagavulin, or does it interact with your ACE inhibitor? More rumbling. Rum? Mulder said. Who the hell drinks rum? Rumble. Bark. Fine, he went on. I'll send two. It was warm when they deplaned and the air was humid and smelled of flowering jasmine. The airport was a paved airstrip and not much more. Customs set up at a folding table under a lazily rotating ceiling fan. The agent that stamped their passports had skin the color of burnt caramel, and he smiled widely when he handed them back. Welcome, he said, his voice tinged with a high lilt, and he had eyes only for Scully, who smiled back shyly. Mulder muttered his thanks, and they rumbled with their suitcases out the door and onto a sidewalk that was rough with crushed seashells that sparkled in the sun. The suitcase wheels rolling over them sounded like thunder. There was a single taxi idling at the curb, a cerulean Puget that was in need of a new muffler. 
Mulder leaned down tentatively to talk with the driver through the passenger window, and he agreed to take them on the ferry to Buccaneer Point, and on to East Wells, where the road literally ended. Mulder had found a rental house not far from an unnamed city east of the bonefishing flats, the proprietor of which would meet them near Shark Mound at the end of the road. Or so he hoped. His discussion with nearly everyone while trying to book this trip had always ended politely, if not with a few details still up in the air. The lackadaisical mane of the locals was off-putting to a modern American such as himself, and he had to adjust his expectations and tow the schism to run on island time. You sure you want to go out to East Wells? The driver asked them after he'd gotten their suitcases in the trunk, and they settled themselves into the back seat, no doubt eyeing the gray in their hair. The hotels in Alicetown are much nicer. There's not much out there beyond... There's not much out there. Scully leaned over, giving Mulder a skeptical look. Where are you taking us? she whispered. He tried to give her a reassuring smile. We're sure, Mulder said, though he wasn't. The details on the rental house were slim, but from the thin file he'd gotten from Danny, the rustic east end of the island was where they needed to be to have any hope of encountering the rains. The driver shrugged and started the sputtering engine, gunning out onto the road from the small terminal. Out there, he said, playing tour guide and pointing out his window not far from the airstrip, is the Fountain of Youth. You've heard of Ponce de Leon? Mulder could feel Scully's eyes on him, but he feigned interest in what the driver was telling them, his thoughts turning to mothmen and sleeping bags, and peered at the schlocky signs as they passed, the fountain little more than a shallow green pond with a couple of bright shacks hawking souvenirs. Once the taxi boarded the ferry for Alicetown, the combined sounds of the Puget and boat's engines made talking impossible. So all three of them pulled out phones to pass the time on the short trip across the bay, the service of an ancient 3G. The taxi bumped down onto King's Highway not ten minutes later, and they drove through the hotels and shops of Alicetown and Porgy Bay, and in no time the highway was surrounded by mangrove forests and palms and what civilization the island had ended. Will the property where you are staying be provisioned? The driver asked after a lengthy silence, the wooden beads of the cushion under him squeaking into the vinyl of the seat. Yes, Mulder said with more confidence than he felt, but do you have a card or something so we can call you when we need to head back to the airport? Or to town to get supplies? The driver laughed and leaned over to reach into his glove compartment, pulling out a scrap of paper and a pen, and jotting something down against the steering wheel as he drove. He handed the slip back to Mulder, who glanced at the chicken scratch, which approximated a local number. Mulder pushed it deep into his pocket and avoided looking at Scully. The left side of the road widened out, the dazzling blue of the Caribbean Sea appearing suddenly along the roadside and stretching out into the horizon. The light shone in Scully's side of the car, turning her hair rich, muzzy gold, blending the cinnamon sugar color of an aging redhead into a sharp golden cap. She closed her eyes, enjoying the warmth 
and Mulder took the opportunity to admire her profile. The way the fine lines that creeped from the edges of her eyes and mouth spread like starburst and faded into her still delicate porcelain skin. Then the car hit a rut, and the spell was broken. End of the line, the taxi driver called out lyrically, and he slowed the vehicle until it came to a stop right where the road did. A single concrete barrier, covered in faded and chipped yellow paint, the only indication that the jungle hadn't actually just taken over the road. They slid out of their seats and onto the hard-packed coral where the pavement ended, and the driver pulled their bags out of the trunk and looked around skeptically. Someone meeting you here? he asked Mulder. Should be, Mulder said, checking his watch, when a white-haired gentleman emerged from the vegetation where the road met the edge of the beach. You Mulder? the gentleman asked, to which Mulder nodded. With that, the taxi driver waved at them both and took the traveler's check that Scully handed over got in his car, and made a skillfully executed three-point turn, rumbling back down the road from which they'd just come. Once the engine noise faded into the distance, Mulder turned to the man standing before them. Akal, the man said, introducing himself, and held out a hand to shake Mulder's. He had an intriguing look about him, shock-white hair that was handsomely coiffed, and an ethnicity Mulder couldn't quite place. He appeared to be at least ten or more years older than Mulder himself, but not an age that was stooped or wizened. Rather, a fit, keen look and a sharp eye that reminded Mulder distinctly of Scully. Is this all your luggage? Akal asked, nodding at the two hard-sided suitcases. At Mulder's confirmation, the man leaned down and picked one up in each hand, straightening as though they weighed nothing at all. Mulder caught a very spousal look from Scully, which seemed to suggest something along the lines of, You're going to let the octogenarian carry those? Are you kidding? At which point Mulder took a step forward to intervene. But a cow casually turned toward the beach and said, The cottage is this way, clearly expecting them to follow. We can carry those, Mulder said, rushing to catch up, to which their host replied, It is a long walk, and I'm used to the sun here. Mulder was ashamed to admit he was relieved. He was not as fit as he'd once been, and the days now started with his body creaking and groaning, and a trudge across the sand seemed perhaps less physically arduous without having to carry forty pounds of all the things he'd overpacked. Anyway, a cow moved with the grace of a much younger man, assuredly one younger than Mulder himself. For her part, Scully slipped off her sandals and looped the ends through her fingers glancing happily at the ocean before contentedly and obediently following a call. Down the beach and around the end of a point sat a small cottage, windows facing the ocean spreading across the whole front. It had a sturdy tile roof and a lanai on the southern side of the house that was held up on the ends with striped and polished tree trunks, with branches extending into the eaves. The outside was painted a rustic and weathered blue, the color of the sky. Scully was instantly smitten. She'd been suspicious of this trip since he'd brought it up. Suspicious since he booked it, keeping most of the details to himself. Suspicious since they'd gotten into a cab at the airport, and he'd practically refused to meet her eye. Why he'd booked a cottage so far from the rest of civilization, if that's what you could call it on this small atoll was anyone's guess, 
but something he was more likely to do back in the more adventurous days of their youth. Not now, when he was almost deferential to Scully's comfort to a fault. And while she had enjoyed walking the beach, it felt pleasant to have sun on her face and stand between her toes. There was something else going on here, and she was going to figure out what it was. Chapter 2 A call showed them around the cottage, which, thank fuck, was charming and clean and well-provisioned. The pantry and small refrigerator stocked, a coffee maker on the small bar in the corner nearest the ocean. What brings you to Bimini? Akal asked, and Mulder looked over at Scully, whose profile was dark against the bright backlight of the Caribbean. Nostalgia, Mulder answered quietly. Akal set down their suitcases and straightened, nodding at Mulder like they shared a secret. Perhaps you'll make new memories while reliving the old ones. Akal glanced at Scully and then turned away to show them how to work the shower and explained that the door to the lanai sometimes stuck if it was humid. Mulder, sensing that Akal knew something about the legend that filled barely three pages in a file at the bottom of his suitcase, took a chance. Should we be expecting any rain? he asked. Akal narrowed his eyes at Mulder and then stood up a little straighter. Afternoon showers are pretty common, he said. But if you're interested in the weather, the point past Mangrove Bay has a small cove. If the gods smile upon you, some rain may fall. He and Mulder locked eyes for a long moment. Thank you, Mulder said, reaching out to shake his hand. Have a good stay, the man said. He then turned to Scully and gave her a slow, monarchal nod of the head before turning and leaving the cottage through the back door closing it solidly behind him. Scully watched him go, and then turned to Mulder, looking a little puzzled. How is he getting back into town, she asked. Mulder shrugged. Maybe he'll walk, he said. He seems to be pretty spry for an old guy. We should be so lucky, Scully said, dropping her sandals on a mat by the door and taking a slow turn to look around the cottage. This is nice, she said, sounding a little surprised. Oh, ye of little faith. She turned to him slowly. I saw your face in the taxi, Mulder. You were worried, too. He shrugged, and she followed him as he carried their luggage into the small bedroom. All right, she said, taking her suitcase from him and tossing it onto the bed. She turned to him with her hands on her hips. Out with it. Out with what? Don't play coy with me, Mulder. Why are we here? We could have stayed in one of the bigger hotels in town, or gone to St. Croix or the Caymans, or something, and been far more comfortable. So why are we here? Mulder hoisted his own suitcase onto the small luggage rack underneath the window. He opened it, unpacking slowly, looking out at the ocean and debating how much to tell her. Finally, he grabbed the file he'd printed out from beneath his swimming trunks and handed the manila folder to Scully. She took it, sinking down slowly to sit on the bed as she read. Oh, Mulder, she said softly, looking up at him. She gently pressed the folder closed and set it down on the bed, standing up and moving in front of him. Her eyes searched his, watery and bright, 
Blue was the sea outside the window. You're trying to recapture our youth? Pathetic, huh? No. She reached up and ran her hand along his cheek. It's not pathetic, and neither are you. He was about to argue with her when she put a finger to his lips. Don't even try. He smiled against her, the skin on the inside of her finger as silky as melted wax. You haven't taken me on an X-file in a long time. I kind of like it. Yeah? Yeah. She leaned in and kissed his lips. Just a peck. Now go out there and make me a Mai Tai or something and I'll get us unpacked. He backed his way out the door, still smiling. What goes in a Mai Tai? He asked. I don't know. Rum? She said with an uptick of her lips. He turned away from her and made a face. Akal said Mangrove Bay? She asked him and he nodded. There's no Mangrove Bay on this map. She turned her phone so he could lean in to look at the digital map she'd brought up of Bimini, his progressives perched on the end of his nose. Rokovoko, he said, and she quirked him a grin. They had made a simple dinner of grilled fish and a fruit salad from the offerings of a bowl on the cottage's small dining table, at which they now sat, casually planning their attempts to find the reins. They had poured through the file, such as it was, looking for clues. The most they'd honestly gotten was the maybe-not-even-real nudge-nudge, wink-wink information they'd gotten from Akal, who did not answer his phone when Mulder called him with some questions. Perhaps he should have told them there was a problem with the cottage. There was not. It was lovely. Mulder took a sip from his water glass and leaned forward onto his elbows. We'll go explore in the area he told us about in the morning. See what we can find? Scully nodded at this and rose to clear their plates and cutlery. They made quick work of the dishes and went out to sit on the small dock to watch the sun disappear over the land behind the cottage, both delighted to find that an aggregation of manatees had congregated there, drinking from a pipe secured to the bottom of the dock, overflow from the well dug into the water table out back. Two hundred yards out, a fishing charter roared by on its way back to the port in Alicetown, its twin outboards spraying up a rooster tail of foam. The humidity in the air added volume to her hair, and it was fluffed out and curled coquettishly over her shoulder, like a shampoo ad in Red Book. He reached out to wrap a lock around his finger and gave it a gentle tug. She turned to him. Remember that summer I spent scrubbing boats? he asked. She smiled, remembering. It was their year on the run. He would walk into their drab little extended-stay motel room after working on the docks all day, smelling like sweat and simple green. His hair back then was shot with sandy highlights from the sun, the white soles of his sneakers stained comet blue. He would grab her around the waist and press his gritty chin to her neck, running his rough, newly calloused hands under her shirt. Then to the bed where he would rock into her, panting with want, rumbling how much he'd missed her into the cup of her ear. She would have to leave for the bar downstairs twenty minutes later to sling lobster rolls and yingling to fat tourists until eleven, their educations wasted. It was the most emotionally honest summer of their lives, 
She could still picture the thin wood paneling of, their motel, of that motel room, the water-stained Virgin Mary on the ceiling, and the fact that it never quite stopped smelling like the sweet bleachy musk of their sex and peanut oil from the friars. She reached up to thumb his chin. Love was such a short, simple word. It wasn't nearly complex enough. There weren't enough letters for how much he made her feel, even all these years later. We're going to find the cove, she said with certainty. I'll pack us a lunch. If there was magic here, Mulder would find it, or she would find it for him. The next morning, lathered in sunscreen and wearing swimsuits, they headed northeast up the beach. The air was sticky and quiet, but for the call of gulls, and a single pelican glided low over the water its wings fixed, stiff as a kite catching the breeze. The day was bright, but there was a bank of gray clouds to the east, which never seemed to get any closer, and Mulder would glance at them at least once a minute, fixated. Scully attempted to draw his focus. Remember that trash monster? Mulder gave her his attention. He was familiar with this old game. Yes, remember the wolf lady? Scully made a face. Remember that walking tornado? Do I? He said with a leer. Those were my favorite cuffs. Yours too, if I'm not mistaken. They walked until they hit a wall of mangrove growing out over the water. Mulder peered around the edge of it, scoping out what lay before them, a tinge of excitement creeping up his spine. I think this is the place, he said, looking at what was almost too small to consider a bay but hemmed in in several places by clumps of mangroves growing out over the water. From where they stood on the beach, far to the east of the cottage, they could see where you'd have to swim out past them to reach the sandy cove, which then carved into the land past the overgrowth. The point extended out like a light sandy arm, ending at rippling fingers where the ocean took over. Looks like we'll have to swim around the mangrove to get there, Scully said surveying the area with a skeptical eye, her hands on her hips. Do you think it's very deep? Guess we'll find out. Mulder dropped their phones, the towel, and bottle of sunscreen Scully insisted they carry, into a dry bag that held their packed lunch, and slung it high on his shoulder. Ready? She nodded. Mulder led the way, wading out into the warm water, leaving a trail of silty sand in a line behind him, through which Scully passed, several yards behind. A school of small fish crowded around his feet and then darted away. The water gradually rose until it was at his chest, and he turned to find Scully treading water, too short to touch bottom. He maneuvered the pack to the top of his head, not really wanting to test how waterproof it actually was. You okay? Yes, she answered, her hair swirling around her shoulders like kelp. Go ahead. Twenty yards past the mangrove growth, they were able to wade back onto the shore, a trio of palm trees lining the thin strip of sand. The point was off to their right and had a sharper angle here, knifing out into the ocean. Mangrove Bay, Scully said, looking around. Looks like we found our cove, Mulder said, nodding toward where an arc was carved out of the water at the base of the point, surrounded by sheets of green fronds. 
The sand in it looked light as air, and the water that lapped gently at the shore was the purest blue. He held out his hand, and Scully took it without a word. Once they arrived at more or less the middle of the small cove, Mulder stopped and unslung the pack, snapping out the towel onto the sand for somewhere to sit. He handed Scully a water bottle and lowered himself down, his spine popping as he settled. He kept his eyes on the shelf of gray clouds, but they merely hung in the air, far out over the ocean, getting neither closer nor further away. Should have brought a book, Scully said, sitting down beside him. You want your phone? Not yet, she said, leaning back on her elbows and closing her eyes. They were in sun-dappled shade that cast swaying shadows along the column of her neck. Eventually, she laid down fully, rolled up her sun hat to use as a pillow. It was a quiet, peaceful place, not too shabby a location to while away a day, and eventually, they ate their lunch and dozed. Scully started reading a book on her phone as the afternoon wore on, her eyes squinting at the small screen. He cast out his gaze toward the bank of gray clouds, but they had moved further out to sea and changed, lightened in color. He sighed and reached out to rub a hand along the back of Scully's neck. I think I'm going to call it, he said. She looked at him sympathetically. You sure? He nodded. Seems wrong to be disappointed in this beautiful weather, but... Scully rose and stretched, wincing, and shook the sand out of her sun hat. We can walk out to the point if you want, she suggested, get a better look at the layout of the island. Mulder shoved their lunch detritus back deep into his pack. Nah, he said, I think we should head back before the tide comes in. We tried. Scully nodded and folded up the large beach towel. When they finally neared the cottage, the breeze had picked up from behind them, blowing out the gauzy sarong that Scully had tied around her waist. Mulder turned to look back at the direction from which they'd come and saw a line of gray haze coming at them fast. Mulder gave Scully's hand a squeeze and took a couple of tentative steps towards it, the thin wall of rain rolling in with the sweet smell of petrichor. It wasn't a wall of water, more of a filmy curtain, and it rolled in and over them in a gentle mist. Mulder turned to Scully, waiting for the magic to wash over her, for the years to melt away, but nothing happened. She reached up and pulled her sun hat off, letting it drop to hang limply from her fingers. Mulder looked down at his own hands, fronts and backs, the fine papery skin damp but unchanged. Disappointment washed through him and he felt his shoulders sag. When he looked up, Scully was at his side. Maybe that's not how it works, she said softly. Maybe, he said. How do you feel? She gave him a small, rueful smile. The same, but wet. He looked out over the water as the small squall passed by and over them and reached out to squeeze her shoulder. Let's go inside, he said. She couldn't get him to go back to the cove. She knew he was disappointed that, while a long shot, he thought there was a chance the reins of Bimini were a real thing. And the letdown was bigger than it ought to be. 
He was putting on a brave face and being generally agreeable. But every time she suggested they try the cove again, just in case, he would turn her down and suggest something else. They were leaving in two days, had already arranged for the Puget driving taxi driver to meet them at the end of the road the morning of the second day. Tomorrow was it, Scully thought. She didn't actually believe in the phenomenon, but she wanted an adventure for Mulder, something to make this trip not a total loss in his eyes, something they'd reminisce about. Do you remember when we went to Bimini? I want to go night swimming, she said, apropos of nothing. What? They were sitting out on the lanai, each reading a book, the sun having set an hour previous. Mulder was propped on the small wicker sofa, his long legs hanging off one of the arms. She reached out and gripped his bare foot in her hand, squeezing. Night swimming, she said. Come on. She rose from the lounge chair and set down her book, face down to mark the page. Mulder looked at her a little dubiously. Night swimming in the embrace of the Atlantic was perhaps not the most attractive prospect to a man whose adolescence began the same year he'd watched Jaws in the theater. They had even filmed the blockbuster the year before on the beach his family frequented. There were things that stuck with you. I don't know, Scully, he said, and she knew he was thinking of sharks, barracuda, but she knew how to get him to follow. The night air had that soft feeling of the tropics, like the air itself was a lover with a warm, feather-like caress. Scully pulled off her top and dropped it to the floor at Mulder's feet, turning to leave through the screen door of the lanai before she could clock his reaction. She heard the door open and close again before she'd gotten ten feet from the cottage. She shucked off the rest of her clothing as she walked and waded in, not bothering to look behind her. She surfaced like a sulky, hair dark in the wet moonlight. She caught his eyes where he stopped a few yards in, water lapping gently at his thighs, and then she dove back under in a swirl of calm water, his own galeen under the waves. He walked out until he was hip-deep, and then let his body fall forward, the buoyant warm salt holding him up. There was a churn of water to his left, and then she was in front of him wrapping a slippery arm around his waist. Thanks for joining me, she said, her lips close to his cheek, coral-tipped pink even in the light of the moon. You might not be thanking me when you get stung by a jellyfish and I have to pee on you. Vinegar works better than urine, but I thank you for the thought. There's the selfless act penis joke in here somewhere, but I'll save you from it. One heroic act after the next. He rested both his hands on her waist and kicked them out to deeper water, pulling her close so that her breast pushed softly into his chest. He could touch the sandy bottom here, but he wasn't sure if she could. I should be thanking you, he finally said, dropping the jokey tenor of his voice. She tilted her head at him in question her cool, wet skin warming where it was pressed to him. For flying down to the Caribbean on a snipe hunt, he went on to explain. Yeah, vacationing in the tropics with the man I love is a real chore. Her eyes flicked up, 
half a revolution of an eye roll. He smiled at her, turning them in place so that the moon lit the shadows of her face. You know what I mean. So you owe me, is that what you're saying? He hummed, thinking of a few fun ways he could pay her back. Her arms came up, her arms came up out of the depths to wrap slowly around his neck, and she leaned her face into him, just below his ear. A warmth bloomed low in his belly. Take me back to the cove, she husked breathily. It took him a moment to register what she said. Wait, what? She laughed and kicked away from him, the water swirling and coolly to fill the space she'd just been. You owe me a false pretense, Mulder, she said. You owe me an exile. He sighed and tilted his head back, looking to the dome of the heavens, awash in purple and smattered with stars. He felt foolish for bringing them here, flying a thousand miles for three pages of rumor and nostalgia. I thought you were humoring me. I was, she said, finding the sand with her feet and standing up so that her breasts bobbed just below the surface. And now you can humor me. He sighed, watching her slick body rise up out of the ocean and drift back toward the cottage. What do you hope to find? He asked her retreating form. A memory, she called back. Chapter 3 They had lazily packed up most of their things that morning, remembering that a call had told them that the rain sometimes came to the cove in the afternoon. They made simple sandwiches for lunch, using up the last of the bread and lunch meat, passing a nearly empty bag of chips back and forth. Mulder wadded up his paper napkin and dropped it, and dropped it to his plate, leaning back in the chair to look at Scully. She crunched her way through the last few chips. Want me to pack up the dry bag? He asked her thoughtfully. I already did, she said, licking salt from her fingers. He contemplated her for a moment, listened to a gull call out from the surf outside. I used to feel like I had to promise you things, he finally said, and she looked up. That I knew what I was doing, that everything would be okay. A nice trip to the forest. She gave him the ghost of a smile. I don't know when I stopped doing it. Promising? I do, she said after a quiet moment. He raised his brows in question. You lit a candle for me, in a church. He smiled, remembering. From then on, all your promises were implied. You don't have to say them out loud for me to know you're making them, Mulder. She reached out and grabbed his hand and gave it a squeeze. I don't know what to promise you for this, he said, nodding toward the direction of the hidden cove. I can't promise you an exile. Promise me a walk on the beach, she said. The rest will sort itself out. Is it just me or does it seem further away than the last time we were here? Mulder asked after walking for what felt like several miles. No, I know what you mean, Scully answered, and she did. The day, rather inauspiciously for their purposes, was clear with not a cloud in sight. 
They had taken their time, pretended there was no real purpose to their jaunt, held hands and picked up seashells, and stopped to watch a pod of dolphins play in the surf. But even though they took their time, the beach seemed to stretch out before them like a dolly zoom on a Hitchcock film, and it took what seemed like an extra thirty minutes before they reached the growth of mangroves that denoted the edge of the cove. Without a word, Scully handed over her sarong and phone, and Mulder dropped them in the dry bag, and they waded out to swim around the overgrowth, the water swelling and receding around them like a whale's heartbeat. They waded out and up onto the beach of the coves, streaming water out onto the dry, powder-white sand. Mangrove Bay had an odd feeling to it this time, Scully thought, different than several days before. The palms that lined the edge of the cove had large fronds that seemed to shiver in a breeze that she couldn't feel on her skin. The sky above was still clear, no sign of rain that she could see, but that didn't mean much out here. As proven on their very first day, rain could sweep across the tropics quickly and without warning. And anyway, when you were investigating an X-File, things never happened the way you expected them to. You have to admit it's picturesque, Mulder said, looking out over the sea, at the endless expanse of blue. It is that, Scully said, wrapping an arm around his waist and leaning her head to his side. Should we send a selfie to the kids? Scully laughed but tipped her head in for a picture as Mulder pulled out his phone. That's weird, he said, fiddling with it. My phone's dead. Did it get wet? Scully asked. Bone dry. And anyway, I haven't had a phone that wasn't waterproof since 2019. Mulder reached into the bag to pull out Scully's and found it in the same condition. Huh. We'll plug them in when we get back to the cottage. Maybe they got too hot in the bag and it drained them, Scully said. Come on, Mulder, don't worry about it. Scully put her sarong back on and they dropped the bag beside a piece of driftwood high on the sand, deciding to walk to the end of the point to the far right of the cove, just to see what they could see. It was pleasant, the air still and the sun warm. Bougainvillea grew up at the base of the point where the land started in earnest, socking in the edge of the beach in a brilliant magenta pink. They reached the end of the point and stood in the hard-packed sand, surrounded by water on three sides. Scully took a deep breath of the fragrant tropical air and once again leaned into Mulder's side. At the quiet limit of the world, he whispered, quoting her Tennyson. She smiled up at him and squeezed his hand, and without a word, both turned to walk back toward the cove where they'd left their small collection of things. It was time to head back. They'd done what they came to do. As they walked, Scully kept her eyes cast down, looking for a few good shells she could keep on the kitchen windowsill when she felt Mulder pause beside her. Scully, he said, and the tone of his voice made her look up. When they connected eyes, he raised his arm and pointed toward the shore of the cove. Scully's gaze followed his finger. The sky above the beach was dark, unnaturally dark, a low bank of angry clouds rolling in above the swaying palms, sweeping in from the land side of the island, up and over the trees. 
do you think it's... She began to say, when Mulder reached a hand toward her, not taking his eyes off the tableau before them. Come on, he said, his voice low. She grabbed his hand without another word. The rain started falling the moment they reached the beach. Scully dropped Mulder's hand and took a few halting steps forward, putting her hand out into the falling water as the sheet of rain swept over them both. They traded a quick look, and then Scully took a few more steps, not really expecting to feel anything, but still anticipating some kind of transformation. A deep brain vestigial instinct telling her something would be different, but really only feeling the clammy sog of her swimsuit and sarong clinging to her leg. She could hear Mulder coming along behind her, the rain making the sand under their feet firm and easier to walk on. She took a bracing breath. Well, she said, turning to him, planning to buck him up from disappointment. We tried. You know, I almost thought... She froze in her tracks. He had stopped several feet behind her and was wearing a shocked expression, his mouth dropping as he looked at her. The rain dripped down his cheeks and pressed his hair to the cap of his skull, and his eyes, looking back at her with slowly dawning shock and delight, stared at her from the face of a man she hadn't seen in years. Scully? he said, his voice a little smoother than she was used to, tinged with an edge of awe. Mulder? she questioned back, then looked down at the backs of her own hands, at the smooth, unmarred skin. Her fingers shot up to her face, not sure what she should expect to feel. Am I... Mulder nodded at her. Younger, he said, not moving an inch from where he stood. Jesus, Dana, you look like... He didn't finish what he was going to say, but she knew anyway. They looked just like they did on their first case in Belfleur. A couple of kids soaked to the skin by the side of the road. Nine seconds and forty-one years gone. One more long moment, and then he was rushing up to her lifting her off the ground as easily as a dancer lifting a ballerina. Holy shit, Scully, he shouted. He was as giddy as he'd been in Oregon all those years ago, and she found herself being twirled around, her body still tense from shock, disbelief, excitement. Mulder, put me down. He laughed as he did so, and as he lowered her to the ground, she felt light, buoyant, strong, as fleet of foot as she had as a teen. She took a few halting steps forward, and Mulder seemed to have the same idea, and they took one look at each other and ran down the beach, pushing, pushing faster than either of them had run in years. They ran all the way to the cove's edge and slowed as they reached the perimeter, which was also the edge of the rain each of them breathing hard and smiling at each other in awestruck delight. This is wild, Mulder said over the loud padding of the rain on the greenery, shaking his head. I don't believe it, Scully heard herself say, and they both burst into laughter at her admission. After a calming moment, Mulder turned to the boundary of the rain and looked at the dry sand on the other side. He looked at Scully for a moment, and then turned back toward it. I wonder if... 
he said, and then before she could counsel him not to, he stepped through the wall of water and into the dry air on the other side. He aged almost instantly. Scully shouted his name, though he had stopped only a yard or two in front of her. He looked down at his hands, weather-beaten and liver-spotted. His heart leapt to his throat. On instant alert that he'd made a terrible choice, that something would happen, that the change would be permanent, that he'd somehow crossed the Rubicon and couldn't get back to Scully, ever. He rushed toward her, back into the rain, and watched her face sag in relief. He felt strong and powerful once more, like a rock. He looked down once again. He looked down once again at his hands, and they were smooth, unmarred, as fine as a sculpture. He flashed on his life, Hunt Scully's. What did one do when they had been gifted something as precious and extinct as one's former youth? He looked to the woman standing before him. He remembered putting Scully and their son in a helicopter, handing over the baby once she was strapped in. He remembered finding the gold chain of her cross in a car trunk in a spaceship. He remembered kissing her at midnight in a hospital corridor, the way her lips were soft and supple. He remembered when the life was flowing out of her, one nosebleed at a time. And suddenly, he knew what he'd do with a 29-year-old Scully with a thirty-something self, what he should have done the first time. He stepped up to her and kissed her, hard. She inhaled in surprise and then kissed him back, clearly feeling her oats, emboldened by her own returned youth. Her tongue was desperate in his mouth, and he scooped her up easily, hands under her ass, her legs around his waist. Desire wound its way through him like lava up the vent of a volcano audacious and urgent and hot. Skull, he panted as her lips grazed wetly along his jaw, his body responding in that quick silver way of youth. He yanked the top of her suit down and leaned down to lav at her breasts, high and tight and round as ripe citrus. Want you, Scully breathed in his ear, her tongue darting out to flick the delicate lobe. They were soaked to the skin now, slippery and raw. Scully struggled with the ties on his swim trunks, which were tight and catchy in the wet. She finally got them loose enough to reach in and free him, and he could feel himself pulse in her hot little grip. God, he was on fire. Wouldn't have been surprised to see steam rising off of them and into the misting downpour. Aroused into a frenzy by her clever hands, he pulled the crotch of her swimsuit to the side and thrust up into her. She grunted and then opened her mouth, sucking in air breathily, her inner muscles gripping him, her sheath as slick and wet as an overripe plum. He felt her fingers twine in his hair, gripping and yanking his head back so she could lick hungrily at his neck. He lost all sense of time. Time they'd wasted. Time they'd hadn't. Time he'd spent in the nirvanic cradle of her hips. None of it mattered. The only thing that mattered was her. He drove into her like time didn't exist. The rain came down like a chorus, a gospel choir singing her praises, the water running over their skin, sparking at nerve endings already at the apex of their capacity. When he thought he might combust, she moaned into his neck, 
and he gripped her hips in bruising handfuls and followed her home, emptying himself into her until he had nothing left to give. He sunk to his knees on the wet sand and held her to him tight. After a moment, she scratched his back lightly, and he loosened his grip, allowing her to slide off of him and write what little she was wearing, and when he tucked himself back into his trunks and rose back to his feet, she stood beside him, wet hair and clumpy coils of dark red, her lips curved into a smile. God, she said, looking shyly aside. We haven't done it standing up in twenty years. That's a nice way of saying that I couldn't lift you these days if I tried. Oh, you could. You'd just throw your back out. He chuckled and reached for her hand, pulled it out to the side like he was presenting her at cotillion. Let me look at you, he said, and wiped water from his brow, lest it blur the vision she was. His last, best love. God, he was a vision, all smooth skin and lean muscle. He was broad-shouldered and lean-waisted, his head thick with dark chocolate hair. The look he gave her, one filled with affection and love, made her feel things down to her toes. Dana Scully, you are the most stunning creature I have ever beheld, he said, stepping into her so that the rain dripped off of his nose and onto her cheek. She reached up to run her hand along his jaw. Likewise, she whispered back. He reached out to touch her. I'll never forgive myself, he said tenderly. We could have had this then. We have this now. Yeah, but we... He stopped himself, huffed a heavy breath, putting out a hand to feel the rain. Dance with me? She smiled and stepped into him. They swayed together, barely moving, until the sound of the rain took on a different quality. Scully looked up. She could see the edge of the clouds sweeping toward them, heading off toward the end of the cove and the sea. She noticed it only a moment or two before Mulder. She saw a look come over his face, his young, exquisitely carved face, the realization that the magic was wending its way away from them, and he grabbed her hand and tore off after it, trying to stay within the spray of the rain, great clumps of wet sand flying up behind them. For a dozen yards she kept up with him, but his long legs ate up more distance than hers could, and her hand slipped out of his. She pulled up short, and he ran on toward the point of land at the edge of the cove, where the rain was slipping away from them, drifting ever steadily to places that couldn't be found on any map. Her heart followed him, and from where she stood, she could feel the moment the rain finally passed her by, her muscles heavy, her bones once again containing the knowledge and experience of her seventy-plus years. She watched in nostalgic admiration, as a young Mulder's arms churned, as his long legs ate up the distance, the broad muscles of his back, that perfectly youthful triangle from his shoulders to his waist, and then he was to the end of the point. He splashed out several feet into the ocean, and then the water slowed him, and the rain, at that moment, passed him by too. He sunk to his knees in the surf. She gave him a moment, and then made her way toward him, walking slowly. When she got to him, the waves were gently rolling past him, 
rising and falling along the length of his torso, like a heartbeat or a breath. When he felt her next to him, he rose to his feet beside her, his face still watching the retreating sheet of rain, and he reached down to grab onto and squeeze her hand. After a moment, she felt his eyes on her. She expected him to look sad or bereft or lost, but his face held a small, enigmatic smile. You know, you haven't aged a goddamn day, he said. They made their way out of the cove with purpose, but unhurried, not exchanging a word. They stopped to collect their belongings, safely dry in the waterproof bag, and then swam around the point of mangroves, each of them making a conscious choice not to look back. As they trundled back down the beach toward the cottage, a buzz emitted from the bag slung around Mulder's shoulder, and he stopped and unfastened the top, rummaging around until they came up with a phone, Scully's. It buzzed again with a waiting text message. Guess the phones aren't dead after all, he muttered, handing it over. Scully thumbed up the screen. A text was waiting. Jackson, she said, and Mulder looked over. What was that? The message read. Scully held the phone up for Mulder to see. What do I tell him? Mulder smiled at her. There's still a little magic in the world, Jack, she typed back. The Virginia sunshine broke through the clouds above their porch like a tear in the fabric of time, a pipe-like tunnel of pure light. Spring had sprung while they were away, and the last of the snow sat in low ditches, crusty and wet, and full of the last of the winter grit. Buds were sprouting on the maple trees that lined the woods an acre or so off to the west of their property, punctured with spiles and draped with bright white sap buckets. It wouldn't be long until the air was suffused with a smoky sweet smell from their neighbor's sugar shack. Mulder rubbed his hands together, trying to infuse a little warmth into his fingers, and listened to the first of the cicadas calling, duking it out with the robins and chickadees for auditory rights in the still cool air of Far's Quarter. Their vacation felt a bit like a dream, like something that had happened a long time ago. But for the seashells lined up along the windowsill in the kitchen, Mulder sometimes felt as though perhaps it hadn't happened at all. He felt his age. He felt the loss of his youth more keenly, having regained it for a brief time. The screen door closed just behind him with a hydraulic whine and swollen wooden thud. And then he felt Scully's arms weave around his waist from behind. He smiled into the air and rubbed his cool hands along her bare arms. Your hands are cold, she said, her voice muffled from where she was pressing her face into his flannel-clad back. Sorry, he said, looking down at her arms, still freckled from a week in the Caribbean sun. Mm, no, feels good, she said, and squeezed him before letting go, to wind her way around his side, brushing herself against him, and finagling her way under his arm, cat-like. He sighed and pulled her tightly to him watching as the sunlight spread across their yard and the open fields beyond it. You've been quiet, she said, running a hand along his chest and absently fingering one of the buttons on his shirt. Yeah, he admitted. Thinking about Bimini? 
He sighed in affirmation. Think we can go back? Someday? She was quiet a moment and then moved to stand in front of him. I think it wouldn't be the same, she finally said. I want to be here. I like it to be now. I want it to be now. He rested his chin on her head. Lily is coming home over spring break, she went on. She asked if she could bring her new boyfriend. Oh, God. Scully chuckled. And Jackson wants to come out while she's home. He said he and Kate have something they want to tell us all. Scully was the one tuned into Jackson's frequency, but Mulder knew without having to ask. We're going to be grandparents. He didn't frame it as a question. Scully nodded under his chin and was quiet. He could tell she was smiling. He tried to breathe it all in, the smells, the sounds, her. He lifted his head and she tilted hers back to look at him. Do you remember? She started, and the sun glinted off the gray in her hair. All those years ago, when I said I wouldn't change a day? He nodded, his throat thick. She reached up and fingered the papery skin at his temple. I meant it, Mulder. And she lifted up and pressed her lips gently to his. If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there.